hi everyone. Uh, my name's Alice Jones. Um, I'm here with many of the people behind uh, what you've just watched. So just a quick um, run through of everyone. So we've got all the names. Um, so we've got the writers, Andy Riley and Kevin Cecil. <laughs> Producer, Hannah Mackay. <laughs> Director, Ben Taylor. And the, the heroes of the hour, Matt Berry, Susan Matoma, and Freddie Fox. Um, so I'm going to ask them some questions about what we've just seen, and there will be some time at the end for you to ask questions as well. Um, <coughs> so do have those ready. Um, I'm going to start with the writing of it. So um, can you tell me what was your kind of starting point? Uh, what was your kind of one-line one elevator pitch, I guess? It started when uh, Ben Farrell, who is the executive producer up there, one of them, um, he showed us a photograph. Uh, it's a, a real Victorian photograph of real Victorian cops where they are in disguise. And they are in quite unconvincing disguises. And one, one of them is pretending to be a one-armed man, but you can see the arm inside the coat. <laughs> and he... He showed us his photograph and he, he said, what do you think about uh, a, a Victorian police show uh, centred around Matt? Um, and we we were working on something else and the, the test for when to get involved with an idea is do you immediately come up with three pages of ideas when you're supposed to be working on something else? <laughs> and uh, we did. <laughs> and um, did, you, did you sort of have any qualms about... I mean, Fiona mentioned this at the start, but the way it, the way it marries, it's a comedy... But it obviously, there has to be a, a plot it and quite a, a twisty mystery at the heart it means of it. It's so a bit more that... difficult to do in, in some ways. In some ways, it's easier to do because you have to do that work. So you have to have the story, you have to have the plot. So it's, 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 very, it's quite complicated, and there's an arc that goes over the series. And so, yeah, I think if we'd known how complicated and difficult it was, <laughs> we maybe wouldn't have done it, but I think that's true for everything I've ever done. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah, everything, it was the same as everything, isn't it? You go, oh, this one's going to be really easy. Yeah, it'd be fine. Because it's really flowing. And then, like, a year later, when you're just banging your head against a wall, you go, no, it wasn't, it wasn't very easy. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite complicated, but that's, in a way, that's what's sort of quite exciting about it. And were there any particular inspirations, I mean, either for the for the plots themselves? I mean, did you have to kind of do proper research into the era, or were you just... Yeah, we read lots of books. So yeah. the Tosher is a real thing that happened, and there's lots of things. I, I was born in the East End, weirdly enough, uh, as you can tell from my Cockney accent. <laughs> so, um, but I was born in the East End, so there were things that I knew about or was interested in. We were interested in kind of the working class, of it being like a working class show of police, really. Um, and, and, and there's things that happen in the series to do with, like, the fate of, you know, what it was like to be a factory worker at that time and all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The other half of the research was uh, watching uh, Dirty Harry and the Sweeney <laughs> and stuff like that. Because it is, it's, I see it as being a sort of an early 70s uh, uh, cop show. You know, it's... 1870s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's a little... It's, there's bits of Shaft and there's bits of, of, um, of Dirty Harry and, you know, and, and bits and pieces from that time. Um, so in my mind, it's always got like there's always a wah wah guitar going wah, 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 whenever they're running around. <laughs> I mean, Ben, as the director, did you, was that one of your kind of touchstones then that you wanted? Because obviously, with the music and the sort of slow mo, even the the title credits, there's something of, there's something of those sort of 70s 
cop shows to it. Was that was that a starting point for you? Yeah, I think when I got came on board, it was called Ye Sweeney, which was its working title. <laughs> Very much a working title. <laughs> which we legally weren't allowed. <laughs> uh, but it was that was sort of one of the pictures. It's a weird one, period-wise, because it's a period because it's set in the what's the exact date? Uh, 1890 or so. But it was a thing that Matt and I got excited about doing. There's a, a film Matt put me on to, which is Murder by Decree, which is who's, who directed that one? Bob Clark. Um, and it's the Australian. same period, but done by a director in the, in the 70, 1970s. And it mm -hmm. has this sort of meld of, of, I guess not camp, but it's sort of gothic camp. So it's, it's sort of, it looked and felt like a 70s production, but with top hats and bowler hats and stuff. And then, yeah, the action stuff that the guys talked about, I think, was something that we all got excited about. There's one, weirdly, there's one, there's a trailer for Ripper Street Series 3, <laughs> which is one of the campest things you've ever seen, which is just them running around and stuff blowing up and everybody getting overexcited. And the thought of doing that with these guys <laughs> and doing, and just, just shooting a very silly comedy very seriously. And I think for these guys to take it that seriously, we wanted the stakes to be real so that if somebody gets punished or gets shot in the head, you know it. It doesn't, doesn't kind of flinch from violence, though, does it? I mean, there's, there's blood, there's those enormous weapons that we see in those first two episodes. You know, there's kind of... Mm. It's, yeah. It's the real deal, isn't it? There was one, what was your, was it Dr. Johnson you told me a story about that? Who was oh, the person Peeps. that? Peeps. No, it was Peeps, yeah. Uh, somebody, Peeps was in a carriage with his wife and a tramp. Can you say tramp now? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 Just have. Broke his head into the carriage and Peeps killed him. <laughs> and he describes how he did it. And it would have been in front of a bunch of people as well. And that just stayed with me. And I didn't want to recreate that. <laughs> but that sort of atmosphere, that kind of um, in, intense violence, you know, <laughs> within comedy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a real kind of mystery to these. They're not, even though there's a lot of silliness around them, they're actually, they're, you know, they're quite involving plots of what, and, and you know, there's, they're, like you say, there is kind of social justice woven into it and that kind of thing. So there is something to kind of compel you through it as well. It's not just yeah, gags which and gags. The guys did so brilliantly and that continues throughout and there's an overarching story which... Keely is starting to hint on in mm -hmm. there. But it's that was the thrill for me when we did the pilot, and the pilot was so exciting because we loved it and we found it funny, but it was bizarrely compelling, the yeah. story at the centre of it with Lindley and the, the peep show. And Matt, Rabbit is a kind of classic maverick cop character. Is that, is that something that you've kind of always had on your bucket list of, of roles to play? No. <laughs> no, I've never had a bucket list of roles to be honest. Um, what, what appealed about, about this character? Because it was different and I thought it was interesting. I mean, like, it, it all comes back to Ben Farrell and I, huge Sweeney fans. And um, I've seen every episode of the Sweeney a lot of times. And it's how I learned about pubs in London because mm. you can see them in the Sweeney and they're not there now, but you recognize everything else in the street. And 
that's boring, but that's, I became <laughs> obsessed, you know, with that sort of thing. So um, I've always wanted to do something like the Sweeney, and then we just discussed it about being Victorian, and then try to talk each other out of it because we knew it would be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are there particular challenges, Hannah, to doing a kind of period? Yeah, endless. Like <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you film it? What was the kind of logistics? Um, so we shot uh, half of it in a studio in London, in Three Mills actually, which is um, in the East End. And uh, what's good about it is it's a sort of Victorian mill as well, so you can be inside shooting interiors, and then you can go outside and shoot explosions, and it looks like Victorian London. And then we went to Chatham Dockyard, which um, is really helpful because it's you can just lock it off. You don't, you know, lots of Victorian areas you have to uh, lock it off from traffic, but actually there it's you can have the whole run of the place, and it's sort of where everything is shot. So you'll be on one corner, and call the midwife will be on the next corner. <laughs> it's quite disorientating, actually. And Ben, your your um, Channel Four viewers will know your work from Catastrophe, and you've just been working on sex education as well. So was this kind of quite a change of pace for you as a director, or is that quite normal to kind of...? Uh, no, what it prob I, I think it was on my bucket list to do a period mm. thing. Like, there's a thrill for me as soon as the guys were in costume and we were there doing it, we had guns. It felt very much like I'd won a competition. Um, <laughs> and just all, every, all the elements coming together, like probably the most discussed element of it is Matt's coat, <laughs> which Matt and I spent quite a lot of time getting right but yeah it was definitely a change of pace just because I'd done sex ed's hour-long stuff and and I guess a bit easier like it was it's so much fun to shoot but it was challenging everything mm. was sort of uh, if you panned left or right you would start to see things that you shouldn't be seeing it's it's yeah. just it, it's one of those things where you rely on with like catastrophe if you're short of extras in scenes you just call your mates and ask them to come down unless they had victorian costume which andy does have <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i didn't wear it tonight i thought it would be a bit much but i contemplated it <laughs> but yeah it was a lovely change of pace it was just a really good fun silly world to lose ourselves in and susan mabel is a fantastic character isn't she and does she does she kind of get what she wants so obviously in the second episode she's actually put on the case and she turns out to be a bit of a, a whiz at solving crimes. But does she, how does she develop as a character? Um, well, she's persistent, as you can tell. I don't know how much I can reveal about it. Um, it's what she wants, and so she doesn't stop banging on about it. And, um, yeah, and, you know, obviously she finds a friend in Lydia because, yeah, it's one thing being in a police station full of blokes, but it's quite nice to meet another woman who sort of sees your potential. So, um, yeah, you see her sort of making her... Uh, I was sort of conflicted, maybe, between... I don't know, ma'am. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely don't know what to say. <laughs> making it out like a really but she, the, It's certainly in that first episode, she kind of gets to voice some of, I suppose, our 21st century... <clears throat> perspectives doesn't she on kind of oh it's always why in victorian crime dramas it's always the strangled oh yeah it's fun yeah. prostitute in, in the fog or whatever yeah um so is that kind of that that must be quite a fun role to to play it's fun because it's relevant but it was relevant then and i think that anything that is um that sort of crosses over is because it's funny as long as it's funny and it just happens to still <laughs> it's kind of sad that it's still relevant it shouldn't be but it is but um yeah all of that is sort of stemmed from uh, it being funny that it is still then and now some dead 
dead naked bird. It's not funny, actually. <laughs> but it is, yeah. Fuck it, it's comedy. <laughs> Yeah. So they, they still do it in Shetland, but they don't have anyone coming in and making a joke about it. They just no, they don't. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, how far is it that you looked at those kind of, those TV shows, there's always one on, isn't there? This kind of Whitechapel, Ripper Street mm. that you mentioned. Um, you know, how far are you sort of poking fun at those? Not. Uh, a li little bit. I, I personally, I, I've sort of, while we were writing this, avoided watching too much Victorian stuff. Read lots of Victorian research, but watched modern cop shows. Um, it's, you know, I was, I was sort of thinking, well, how can we make it as funny as, as people just do nothing and as exciting as something that Jed Mercurio writes? You know, it's, it's, it's trying to do all of that. Or Sally Wainwright, you know, that's the, that's the aim with this show. I, I sort of thought that it was sort of a, because of, you know, Penny Dreadful and Ripper Street, and they're good shows, and, and there's various other ones. And I sort of thought, oh, well, that's a genre, and so it's nice to do a, a funny version of that genre. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I have, you know, seen some, but you can't watch too many of them at once because then you start borrowing their plots. So you've <laughs> got to be kind of quite careful because I don't want to get too kind of freaked out by going, oh, we can't do that. We can't do medicine because they did medicine. Yeah, the, the risk one. actually is, is not borrowing plots. Is, yeah. is looking at something and going, oh, no, we can't do that now because they did that on that show. Yeah, we can't so, do that on that show. Because actually we and them are probably reading the same book, so you sort of, Definitely. you start to cross over in some mm -hmm. weird ways. And Matt, you did some writing on this as well, is that correct? Yeah. So yeah. was that, um, sort of what kind of input did you have on it? Was it Well, I didn't want to take the rise out of anything. I've got no interest in doing that. Um, it wasn't about that for me at all. It was about just doing the Sweeney, but taking it back to Victorian times and doing the kind of things that were accepted acceptable in Victorian times as a comedy, because I'd never seen that. I'd never seen anyone do that. And that was what was interesting. Uh, I wasn't interested in the other shows that were on at the time. I didn't really see those. I mean, it was just as simple as that. It was just wanting to do something like the Sweeney, but mm -hmm. in the early days. And I mean, there's quite a lot of action, I guess, for, for all of you. So was that, was that something kind of new for for you to do, I mean, it's not, you don't often get a lot of action in comedy, I suppose, like the sort of running around in corsets, chasing after people with guns, like, was that, was that a new experience? Yeah, that was new. Um, I've, never been, I've never been in a corset on screen before, so that was new, and then running around in the corset, <laughs> in the dress, I kept ripping, because it kept, it was so long, at a train, why do you need a train? Um, um, <laughs> I can't really, uh, yeah, that was hard. That was actually really hard, because you sort of want the, in your head, when you sort of practice a, a fight thing, you want to be really cool, like your Neo, and then <laughs> things are stopping you, clothing, <laughs> breathing, and that sort of thing. But um, but th th you have to use it and, and try and be funny. But I love, I've only had one opportunity to do comedy and do fight and stuff, and I really, really enjoy it. I enjoyed it, so I knew that I'd be up for it. But Fred just wore his own clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> See, um, so I mean, you're probably better known. I mean, so far to viewers for real period dramas, for kind of appearing in the in the the real deal kind of stuff. Yep. So how did this did this feel like a different? I was basic. I was asleep for most of this. <laughs> Woke up, had a jam tart, and then on to set. No, it was it was it was. Oh, it was as much a challenge as any other role, you know. You, 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 you bring something different to each character, however subtle that may be, and you enjoy relishing the playing of that and exploring within that, those parameters. Um, you know, and just 
do my voice, but a bit posher. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this, there's a classic, it's a classic kind of comedy odd couple thing, isn't it? With, yeah. Um, with Strauss and Rabbit. So how does that relationship develop over the course of oh, the next few episodes? How yeah. do we see them? <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's so interesting seeing the difference between the pilot, the first, well, it was a pilot episode, but the first episode that we then shot a year before the second one and seeing how much easier it felt watching the three of us have our badinage, which was, I really, uh, which grows and grows as the series goes on. And so I thought that was, that was rather winning. Um, I can't remember your question. <laughs> well, it was more just about how the relationship between Rabbit and oh, Strauss, because yeah. um, they're a sort of classic odd couple. Yeah, they are. And I, they have immense affection for each other, which grows over the course of the show. And an understanding that together they're so unlikely, but together they are so much stronger. Um, and they bring, you know, I think by the end of it, you do, I think probably there's a sort of certain a bit of paternal figure going on there, but also a bit of brotherly as well. And we just have a guess. Well, I just wanted to do that fools and horses thing. <laughs> I've always loved that. And I get bored of seeing people kind of bollock each other, you know, for a long period of time. Yeah. And I think it's far more interesting if, you know, if a the three of them kind of look out for each other, and that was important right from the beginning, before the pilot. I wanted that. I wanted them all to, um, what else, you know, was kind of going on. They would be the enemy, and these three would be, you know, sort of tight. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, something you just said made me think something then about Rabbit, but um, I've forgotten it. I'll remember. Um, Hannah, can you talk a little bit about the, the sort of other people that are appearing? Because obviously at the end of that first episode, that reveal of Keeley Hawes is quite... Yeah, I mean, at the moment, she's kind of yeah. everywhere, isn't she? Quite exciting. So are there going to be more sort of people coming into the... Yeah, there are. They're, we were so lucky with casting. I mean, the, the most exciting bit of casting is the very beginning when you make your kind of wish list, you know, and you have all these names on it and you think, well, they'll never do it. And in, in our case, obviously, we wanted Olivia Coleman, but she wasn't available. <laughs> <laughs> so we moved on to Keely Hawes. No, that's not true, just, so, just to be really clear. Keely was the first choice, and uh, she's she, <laughs> she's absolutely you know she is exactly who you want. All of us wanted to play that part, and I think what's so exciting is how many people, as we go through the show, came on board and wanted to do little part, little turns in it. So we've got I'm not sure if we're allowed to say, but we've got Taika Waititi in another episode. Um, he ha has a quite exciting little uh, turn, and um, obviously Sally Phillips comes in later in the series as well as Jill Halfpenny. So I think we've got, you know, for me particularly, this amazing set of women in that show, and and it's it's and, and some of them would say that you know they don't get to work together that often because it's one or the other, and that's what was so nice about kind of putting together it because it can be a really male world. I think you know a lot of those other shows can feel very male, and she's got some real female powerhouses in it, which is really exciting. Yeah, and I suppose in, in the station and stuff, Mabel is the kind of lone female, isn't she? Mm. So she kind of rules <laughs> the reason. But she also sort of likes it. Like, because she wants to be one of the... She wants to be one of them. She wants, not in terms of, like, she wants to be one of the boys, but she wants to do what they're doing. Like, the, the freedom that they have and the stuff that they do, she wants to be on board, rather than her going, oh, stupid men. Do you know? Even though she does think that. But, like, it's because she wants to be part of it. That's mm -hmm. why she's there, because she loves it. Yeah. And, and the thing I remembered now I wanted to ask you about Rabbit is that he's this curious mixture of, you know, he gets there in the end and he has these sort of flashes of genius, but he's also quite dumb a lot of the time, isn't he? <laughs> this kind of curious mix of the two, yeah. the two things. Was that, was that something that you kind of developed over time or did you know this was in his DNA? I think from the beginning. Um, because you've got to watch 
six of these things, and these days you watch six on the trot. It's got to be interesting, and it can't be too... You can't kind of work out the lead characters very quickly, where you shouldn't, if you want to, you know, sort of continue to be interested. So they've got to have faults, and they've got to be, um, you know, sort of fallible and... Um, you know, and just rich enough for you to continue to the next episode. And hopefully you'll watch all six. If you don't... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you mentioned there's this arc that we've already seen the beginning of, obviously, with the mysterious symbol and Keely Hawes. So that's going to presumably continue for the six episodes. But does that get wrapped up in six episodes and then... I mean, is there more life in this? I, I, I don't know how much we can give away now. I mean, I don't want you to give away the ending. Yeah. Yeah. There will, there will, there will be a climax. We've got seven seasons worked out, including, <laughs> the, including the letter-writing campaign about the seventh yeah. season. <laughs> so, but to, to actually give that all away now... Would would be problematic, but but if you know if a couple of drinks later, and uh, yeah, so you're saying it's the new Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> well, the, the, the no thing one's now. saying there's a big Game of Thrones gap in the market <laughs> that a show has to fill. Uh, Channel Four can like spend a bit more and give us a dragon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they can they can find the money for that. Uh, no, it'd be, you know, there's always petitions now for, uh, for doing things again. Like, there's a million signatures on the e-petition for doing the last series of Game of Thrones again. <laughs> like, maybe we should be the first show to ever do that. Seven, seven seasons in, that would be fun. Well, then it's just an extra season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, um, let's open up to some questions from the audience. Someone immediately there on the right. Thank you. Can I ask about the uh, the garb, about the clothes? Um, it's obviously pretty heavy Victorian gear. Was it very hot to work in, and <laughs> did you have a favourite <laughs> item of clothing? Um, Not hot enough for you. Was no, it? it wasn't hot enough. We, we filmed in January, and I was frozen. And I had um, one dress that saw... I know, I eventually had two, but it saw everything. I think I got... I got shit on the hem as well. So we had a horse that shat, and then you had to wade through the shit, and then that was that. And just had shit. There was a point I was standing there, I was like, I've got shit on my dress. I've got actual horse. Can I? Yeah. Okay. Um, we just watched this. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just watched this. I told you the. Yeah. Um, so, it, but it was really cold, and I'd, like, my feet, I've never had feet that cold, and you just think, God, oh, they didn't, didn't think about this then. Um, in the late 1800s. Um, yeah, I've, uh, it drove me mad, actually. From, it looks great, though, but it drove me mad, personally. You guys? You mentioned the coat was a kind of yeah, bone of contention, so how did you eventually settle? Not a bone of contention, no, bone of contention a kind of... I knew that it was going to be blue, but it was about <laughs> uh, what... Well, you explain what shows on screen, what pops out as... Yeah, we've got a really clever costume designer, Rosa Diaz, who I've worked with quite a lot, and the aim was to sort of creating that iconic trio was that everybody else around them was stripped of colour and those three mm -hmm. sat on top. And Matt gave me little visuals that he was really drawn to. And there's one of David Bowie in the 70s wearing red boxing gloves. Yeah, that's and he it. said, I want to look like this. Well, it's Bowie and it's Superman 2. The yes. colours are <laughs> Superman 2 and, <laughs> and Bowie. So he has... So it's blue... And that is the same colour as 
the red, I think, on Superman. I mean, that, that was what was trying to go for. But we got the guy who made the new Doctor Who coat, made Matt's coat, oh. yeah. and we turned up for the final fitting, and we said, give us a look at Doctor Who's, and he brought and he it did. out, and we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, quite but similar. it was fine. It was fine in the end. <laughs> yeah, it was a slight worry. <laughs> Great. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, this is a, a question for Ben. How long was your prep, your shoot, and your post, and what was the most difficult thing in the most interesting thing as a director? Um, it was a funny one because we did, we did, like the guy said, we did the pilot a year and a half ago. So you have a sort of disproportionate amount of prep for that one episode. So we did a lot of like the key casting with these guys and costume design and stuff like that. And it's one of those gorgeous shows where everyone only wears one thing, which is now my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> um, so we had, I think, six weeks for that. Then we down tools for a year and a half, came back and had another six weeks, then six weeks to shoot it. And then, um, yeah, about a week and a half for each episode offline. So it was all, it was, it's funny because it is, it's, it's a comedy still, but trying to be a bigger thing. And with the guys, the objective were incredible and pushed every cent wherever we could. And Channel 4 backed us all away, but it was, all of it was definitely tight. So it's the action, which was really important to us. I think that's where you realize you aren't a drama is that you just don't have time because you've got just enough time to do all the dialogue. And then it's like, blow Tanner up with a bomb in a bag, and we had 15 minutes to do that, <laughs> and only one take to do it. So we said to the, so we had the visual effects guys, and we said, we've only got one take, so make it big. So they stuffed extra stuff <laughs> in, and it, it scared the shit out of everybody when they did it. But no, it was, we were all sort of on board, and the guys were amazing, because it was, it was one of those where we were running between setups and just desperate to, to get everything in, and it yeah keeps building. Like there's there's some great great stuff coming up, especially in episode six. Thanks very much. I'm going to be greedy. I've got two questions for the cast. Firstly, there's a lot of there's a lot of physical action in it. Were there injuries? Were you knocked around, bruised and bashed? And the language is so colourful. Were you competitive <laughs> over who swore the most or who got which lines? Well, I'm out of this one. I do, uh, he doesn't really swear, except oh, yeah, when he's unaware swear. that he's swearing, which is absolute bullshit. He just thinks... He picks up, <laughs> he picks up on... Because he's his... You know, Rabbit's Strauss's hero, so he'll take all the information. He's taking it all in very quickly. But in terms of the swears, he doesn't get any. Um, but in terms of action, I, we, were all, we, all, we were all all right. I don't, I don't think we got knocked about too much, did we? Nah. Did we? I mean, it's... it's, it's I make it sound like, you know, it's really hard work. It's really good editing. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, but no, no one got, no one got injured. I get, I get uh, the one C bomb. Um, I think there was enough, there was a few, we did like a few alternates, but I don't think they, I don't know whether they've made it, but I definitely get that at one one sets. The closest we got to getting hurt was there was one, there's one scene in a later episode in the carriage and we got the giggles so badly. <laughs> in the sink because it was so claustrophobic inside it and we began to laugh so hysterically and couldn't stop for about 20 minutes or something which really annoyed everybody else by the end of it but that was as close as I got to getting injured because it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Matt, Matt's been quiet. 
<laughs> Matt, no injuries? No? No, none. No, it was, it was all quite sort of controlled stuff. It was Matt's fight, uh, stunt coordinator from Toast. Yeah, I'd worked with him all the... Oh, really? I'd worked with him since I started, when I was in my 20s, I think. I first worked with him. Um, he hasn't aged at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he hangs himself every day and sets himself on fire, which is extraordinary. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was all... There wasn't much. I mean, it probably looks a lot worse than it is, yeah. but no-one really did anything. You know, the thing I've just done was a lot more terrifying than, than Rabbit. Um, we had yeah, the most dangerous it was just cold. prop ever made. What was that? Yeah. Rabbit's truncheon oh, is yeah. a thing of beauty. It the one with the nails or the actual truncheon? No, no, <laughs> no the silver one. Oh, the silver. With the, the rabbit on yeah, it. Yeah, it's a solid steel truncheon that Matt's friend, what's he called? Matt? Yeah, Adam um, Savage. Yeah, Adam Savage from Mythbusters. Where is uh, that now? I don't know. Some long I haven't got it. <laughs> yeah. But he did it. I think there's going to be a, a, an online thing of how he did it, but he makes like lightsabers and stuff for Star Wars, and he just said to Matt, he'd do it, and it came in. And, but it's, it would just kill you immediately. If <laughs> but it was a rubber one for hitting people. Yeah. Um, there's one in the middle up there. Um, can I ask about the uh, uh, John Merrick was a delight in the uh, first episode that we saw. Could you tell us about um, the choices for casting and creating um, that, that version of the character? Anna Mackay. Yeah, so we, it is based on reality in that John Merrick was a bit more successful. We wanted him not to be a victim. Yeah, there's a book called Inventing the Victorians by Matthew Sweet which is a great sort of book telling you unexpected things about the late Victorian era. And he found some uh, evidence that Merrick was actually rather good at cutting deals uh, when, he was, when he was in the show. So we thought, oh, let's sort of run with that and let's make him like a theatrical impresario that's sort of like an Oscar Wilde character. And that's just, we thought, well, we, we haven't seen that before. So it's sort of partly based on Oscar Wilde and partly based on various studio bosses we've come in contact <laughs> with. <laughs> And so there's just that kind of slightly spoilt kind of, yeah. And um, just in terms of the casting, you know, obviously it's, a, it's one that you want to be really sensitive about because, you know, we're always trying to do open casting. Uh, in this instance, the character is played by an actor called David Dawson. Um, and we saw him very early on in the process and we all fell in love with what he did. It's something really specific, as the guys say, it's sort of based slightly on... Oscar Wilde and other kind of um, figures from the age. It's um, a kind of punk take, I think, on as the whole show is on on that figure who is an icon. Um, and we just fell in love with that character, that that performance, I think, which was not really where we thought we wanted to go with it. But he's so, and he comes back in later episodes, and he is the the kind of king of the show, actually, which I find really pleasing that the, the joke is always on the other person and that he's very he's a very powerful kind of underworld figure as you go uh, on also narratively where we wanted to sit in the in the cast is that we wanted a sort of an equivalent of huggy bear in in starsky and hutch you know there's, there's someone <laughs> someone with their ear to the ground that knows what's going on um, we thought wouldn't it wouldn't it be fun if that was if that was if that was merrick <laughs> Um, Hi, I've got a comment and a question. So, the comment was just really well done. I thought the production was really, really well done. And the actors, 
I believed you guys. You guys took me into a world that I just believed every one of you. I didn't think for a minute you was acting. But I wanted to say to the writers, the writer as well, writer, sorry, um, what draft was that? Because like, it's such a high oh. concept. Oh, shame. Yeah. I don't know. It's draft. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't put a number on it. Um, there's, there's a lot of sort of going back and forth between uh, Matt and ourselves and Hannah, and it sped up and up and up and up until by the, like the last week before shooting, we were kind of doing... We were, me and Kev were, were sort of on Christmas Day. Throwing, yeah. throwing yeah. scripts across the desk, changing everything. Couldn't, couldn't tell you. Um, I'd say, I'd say it was no. somewhere between 10 and 20. Yeah. And we were on set, one of us would be on set every day writing if, if you know, if a, if a thing was a little bit, we'd, you know, alternative jokes. There's one line on, on like, um, I won't say what it is, but there's one line in episode two that I've got, oh, that's really, it's like was written on set. So, you know, if something's, if anyone the needs lemon anything. One was, that was yeah, well, the lemon one, I think, you was improvised. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. the, <laughs> the, um, which is lovely. But, um, so, no, there's another line. But anyway, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. Yeah, Thank you. Sorry, can't be specific. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I had a really good yell out, laugh out loud, and I'll certainly be watching it. So thank you, and it was brilliant. Everybody was brilliant. But the thing I want to ask to the writers is, you've got some nice little tropes in it, like uh, things like where they say sort of he's got the taste for it and stuff like that. Are you going? To, is that a thematic thing that's going to be going all the way through? And do you feel that your your writing is going to sort of have a an influence on sort of street language where people will be <laughs> saying that sort of thing? I mean. Wouldn't it be great? Um, I don't know. You just, you just, we all, we all write, write the lines, and then with, um, uh, with, with Matt in particular, the Matt, Matt's delivery is unique. Um, so, the the taste was in the script, but it's the way that Matt does it. Which, oh, I got which the is taste from um, that PG Tips advert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's the taste. <laughs> oh God! Oh, I get it. Because I always thought that was ludicrous. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I I wanted to use it somewhere, and this seemed perfect. Um, I think that's all we've got time for, sadly. Um, it's going to be on Channel 4 in June. That's all I know at this point. But um, thank you very much to everyone tonight, and thank you all for coming. Thank you.